three of the Overtime Podcast, total episode number 29. We welcome on Andy Bitter for the second time in overtime history. He covers Virginia Tech for The Athletic, formerly at the Roanoke Times. And we had you on back on May 18th, 2020, when things were far different from now. And we're happy to have you. In person. In, in person, person, yeah. I, I forgot to add that. In person, not on Zoom. Our first interview. We are super. When was our last in person interview? Our last in person interview had to be Mandy Mandy McGlynn. Mandy McGlynn. John Laser. I don't know. It, our our interview together last time was in the heat of COVID. It was May of twenty twenty. Yeah. Man, COVID cases were surging. Could yeah. you imagine? <laughs> could you imagine if they were like that now? Oh wait, they are. <laughs> please, everybody, go get vaccinated. Just please go do it. It's for your own health. It's for everybody else's health. Just go do it so we can get out of this thing. I love it. So I just wanted to warn you: the questions the second time a guest comes on are much harder. They're much yeah, harder. Okay. Oh yeah, we're putting you. I didn't know I was on the hot seat. Here. <laughs> this, is, this was not uh, told to me when we were pre-planning this thing. <laughs> so I just wanted to ask, you've covered tech for a number of years, you've covered college football for a long, long time. Do you think that tomorrow's game, do you think this season as a whole is the most highly anticipated Virginia Tech football season you've covered thus far? It's hard to say. Yeah. Because there have been expectations before. Yeah. Uh, you know, going into that first Fuente season, obviously, uh, there were so many questions around it because it's a brand new coach and uh, how are they going to do the transition from Frank Bieber and all that? So I, I think in terms of anticipation, that one was probably higher Yeah. in terms of since I've been here. And I've been covering Virginia Tech for 10 years. So I think that was the, the most anticipation for a season. But I think this one is is interesting just because it feels like it can go one of two ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like either exactly. he can do well enough to keep his – Fuente can do well enough to keep his job. And Virginia Tech sort of commits to him going forward being the guy, or he doesn't do well enough, and uh, the powers that be here go, we have to make a change. And uh, that's sort of a fork in the mode, in yeah. the road moment uh, for every football program that's out there. So it's a really interesting one, and uh, you can't really start the season out any more interesting than yeah. it is with a game like this in such a crucial season. Why well, I mentioned it. On a national scale, Justin Fuente is on the hot seat. Um what kind of season, in terms of wins, because I love this question, what kind of season do you think he has to have to get some job security cool to for seat next down. year? Right. People always ask me how many wins, and I don't know if it's how many, but the kind of wins. Yeah, okay. Because you can go, oh, you're 8-4, and four, but what if you lose to UNC, UVA, West Virginia, and Miami? You've mm-hmm. lost all the key games mm-hmm. in the conference and your most hated non-conference rivalry game. Would would fans feel too great about an eight and four season where you're five and three? You lost all your traveling trophies to the other school. Right. Uh, I could picture a situation like that. And in the scenario I just outlined, you would lose to Miami and Virginia to close the season. Uh, that would be a very disappointing way to finish yeah. the season. So that's an eight and four record that I think would disappoint a lot of fans that are out there. At the same time, I could see uh, an eight and four record that wins the coastal division. And that's much different. Yeah. <laughs> so that puts you in a different spot. Uh, I would generally think eight wins would, would get him mm-hmm. back. But like I said, it depends on the ones, uh, the, the, the games that they do win. Seven wins, it kind of feels like more of the same. I, I, I don't know if that's enough to uh, for, for the athletic director to decide to make and change. Six of six feels like a lot of what it's been the previous years. Yeah. Under 500, mm-hmm. it feels like, man, maybe this is just not going to work out. Yeah. But there's all sorts of considerations that go into it, and I don't think it's necessarily just you win X number of games and right. you stay, lose X number of games and you're gone. Yep. All right, I wanted to get into the offense. 
Um, Braxton Burmeister, the quarterback, most important position. We only got to see him in five games last year. Um, I assume he's gotten better, but how could you sell the Hokie fan base on Braxton Burmeister if you were being an optimist? Well, I think you just look at his last two games last year and uh, played very well uh, in relief technically against Clemson because yeah. Hendon Hooker started that game and then played very well against Virginia. I think he had a quarterback rating of 166 in those two games. Wow. If he plays like that, that's top of the ACC type of numbers or top three in the ACC. So if he can play efficiently like that and they can throw the ball, then yeah, I think he can be a very effective quarterback. The question is, that's a very small sample size. That's yeah. two games. And it really was like six quarters because he got <laughs> he got hurt in that Clemson game and didn't play for a lot of the second half. So uh, are you basing all this optimism off of six quarters versus what a guy's done his first four years? I, you look at his first four years, he gets thrown in really early as a true freshman against Oregon when he was at Oregon, probably too early. Yeah, uh, Went from like fifth string to the starter in a matter of two weeks with all the transfers and injuries they Jeez. had. Uh, doesn't really play a whole lot of sophomore year. Transfers the next year. His first year at Virginia Tech that he actually plays is coming off a season where he doesn't have an off season. He spent the scout team the first year. He didn't really have time to work in the offense. He had a bout of COVID in the preseason. Uh, you know, you don't go into the season thinking you're fully prepared if that's the case. He said he was down about 10 pounds mm. uh, before going into that opener against NC State. And then he breaks his toes midway through the season. <laughs> so there's a lot of extenuating circumstances with him that I don't feel like we've gotten a full evaluation of what he's like as a quarterback. So I would withhold judgment, I guess, a little bit on that until I can yeah. see him play uh, now that he's had a, a full season of preparation as the starter, as the guy, and he's shown a little bit of success before. Nice. So Braxton is QB1. Do you think we'll see any packages with uh, Knox Kadem, um, Connor Blumrick? Swante loves to play two quarterbacks. Yeah. He's shown that. I think <laughs> there's a possibility for something with Blumrick because he presents something a little bit different athletically. Mm-hmm than uh, even what uh, Burmeister brings to the field. He's a 6'6 guy, 215 pounds. And he's uh, played other positions. In the he has. He's, he's sort of been like a running back tight end mm-hmm. before. And I, I don't know if any of those ever took when he was at Texas A&M, but he at least is familiar with right. them. He play, has played on special teams. So, uh, yeah, I could see a little bit, but I, I, don't, I don't feel like there's as much contrast as there has been in the past where it's like, Hendon Hooker, pretty skinny. He, you know, he ran the ball a ton, but he was pretty skinny. He's not a guy that you're like, oh, he's going to run somebody over. Mm-hmm. And then you bring in Quincy Patterson, who's 240 pounds. Yep. It's like, you know what they're going to do with Quincy Patterson in the game. I think the difference between Burmeister and, and Blumrick is probably a little bit less than that. Yeah. Mm. So I wanted to move on to the running backs. I know, Kevin, you have a question about this, but the depth charts came out. It looks like Jalen Holston is the number one, but, you know, those could go either way. Um, who do you see getting majority of the carries? And... Who are you most kind of intrigued by seeing coming out of that backfield? I don't know if there's going to be a guy that just jumps out yeah. like last year. I mean, that's sort of been the M.O. here with Fuente is they're going to rotate carries around a bunch of guys unless somebody does emerge. Yeah. And I just I look at that running back room and I don't see anybody that's head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, you know, I, I think Holston can be an effective guy. I think Raheem Blackshear can in his own way, sort of a, a multi-use back like that. I think Keyshawn King could be one to keep an eye on because you look back a couple years ago, he was really effective as a freshman in spots. He showed this burst, a lot of promise for a young guy. Sounds like the mental side of it wasn't always there. Just showing up every day, uh, grinding every day at practice. I think the coaches love that day-to-day consistency of their running backs. And for young guys, that can be tough. 
Definitely. So I think uh, what I've heard this camp is he's been more of that guy. He's been more consistent uh, every day at practice is bringing it. And, you know, if he has that part of it, I think he has the physical attributes that he can do something special when he gets the ball. So I, I would keep an eye on Keyshawn King. I think he might surprise some people this year. I think I think UNC is going to show a lot of that too, right? I think <clears throat> we might see uh, Blackshear in different spots aside from the running back position. So I think we're going to see a lot on Friday. Um, I guess it's coming out tomorrow, so we're going to see a lot uh, tonight. Um, so Tech returns most of their O-line, um, brings some serious experience as well up front. Khalil Herbert's a guy who was super successful last year. How much was that the O-line, and how much was it just Khalil Herbert being Khalil Herbert? Well, it was certainly a combination. Yep. Because it's not like every back on the roster did what Herbert was doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he came in, and it was just so impressive to watch his patience when he was running, he always seemed to find the right hole. He always seemed to know the right moment to hit it. Uh, it never looked like he was going like too fast. Yeah. Like some running backs, I think that was a problem with Blackshear last year. Is he would get going too fast and he wouldn't let the play develop and and run through the hole. And you see Herbert, and it's not like he's slow, but he's just taking his time until he gets that, and then he goes, mm-hmm. and it's boom, sixty yards down the field. He has that breakaway capability. But I think that patience with running backs is tough to develop. I think that's something that younger backs maybe don't have and mm-hmm. you could tell that Herbert wasn't experienced back in that. But at the same time, those were some gigantic holes he was running through. I remember that NC State game. He wasn't getting touched until he was 10, 15 yards down the field. I yep. mean that you could be a bad running back. Right, exactly. <laughs> if you can drive a truck through some of these holes. Uh, so yeah, a, a lot of credit to the offensive line and I know they lose Darisaw this year and a couple transfers. Uh, but I still think that group could be pretty good yeah. because it, at this point I give Vance Vice the benefit of the doubt with the, the offensive line room. And, you should. and people go, oh, well, they lost these these stud recruits and stuff. Well, Darisaw wasn't a stud recruit, mm-hmm. and they found him. Lasita Smith was a tight end coming out of high school. Brock Hoffman went to Coastal Carolina at mm-hmm. first. He wasn't this top-tier recruit. So they find guys on the offensive line, and they develop them. So I, I feel pretty confident that's going to be a, a pretty good group. I've said time and time again, it's it's really more about the offensive line. You can find a speedy running backs and guys who can find holes mm-hmm. all around, especially in the NFL, at the NFL level. But, uh, no, that's that was really impressive last year, and we'll see if they can do that again this year. Definitely. So there seems to be a lot of excitement about the wide receivers this year. I know I read your article this morning in The Athletic. Uh, you talked a little bit about guys like Jaden Paiute, Dwayne Lofton. Uh, are, do those guys kind of have to emerge, or are you, do you think for this group to have success, you need big years from Trey Turner, big years from Tavion Robinson and James Mitchell? Well, I think it's both of both. those things. Uh, you look at the end of last year, and we were talking to Trey this week about it, just about how many snaps they were playing by the end of the year. And him and Tavion were playing 70 snaps a game. By the end, you just can't put that burden on your top two receivers. They're going to be exhausted by the end of the game, especially uh, against an opponent like North Carolina, where Fuente made this point this week. He's like, they clutch, they grab at the line. It's going to be physical. It's not like you're just going to get clean off the line every time. It's going to be a workout trying to get open. So you have to have a little bit of freshness to your legs by the end of the game to make that happen. So uh, definitely need more than those two and and James Mitchell to emerge there. And and that's where it gets really interesting because it gets so young so fast. Uh, You get past the starting trio of of Trey and Tavion and Caleb Smith, and it's freshmen. Mm -hmm. And I know Jaden Payute is a third-year player, but he still hasn't done anything in a game yet. He's still technically a freshman. Uh, Daywan Lofton and Jalen Jones, I think they have really high hopes for them, but they're still – Freshmen, they enrolled in the in the winter, so uh, there's a lot of unknowns there. But I think there's a high upside with that group that 
if thing comes around, I think they feel better about this receiver room than they have in, in a couple years, which is weird to say given the experience, but I just think the mentality of that room and, and the work that they're putting in, uh, there's sort of a, a different approach going on right now that's a little bit more refreshing to the coaching staff. Let's take a look at UNC, too. They lose uh, some of their receivers. They lose their backfield. I mean, it was blown up. So much production. Michael Carter, Javante Williams. Um, they get Ty Chandler from Tennessee, but not much behind him, right? The two guys have, I think, 11 career starts combined behind him. Is that going to be an issue in terms of running back depth for North Carolina? Possibly, but I think, like you mentioned before, if the offensive line is really good, yep. the running, running back <laughs> can go. find a way. So like I just you contradicted could, my You could have a great <laughs> running back and a bad offensive line, and your running game will not work. You yeah. can have a mediocre running back and a great offensive line, and you will churn out yards. Yep. So uh, last year, North Carolina had both, and that's why that running game was so great, because they had the, that two-headed rushing attack and mm-hmm. a good offensive line, not to mention a Heisman caliber quarterback mm-hmm. right. uh, running the show as well. Uh, it sounds like the offensive line is pretty good. Everybody's back uh, on offensive line there at North Carolina. So I, I would think that they would be effective running the ball. But, man, you lose those those two running backs last year. I was so impressed by them at North Carolina. And One I, of the best duos we've seen. Yeah, obviously ACC, I saw, yeah. him, saw him against Virginia Tech, but then you see him against Miami later <clears> in the year, and Miami wasn't shorthanded mm-hmm. in that game. They were doing the exact same thing to Miami, even a little bit worse yeah. uh, than what they did to the Hokies. So. I can't imagine you lose that kind of talent at running back and you just seamlessly pass the baton to the yeah. next group. But, you know, Chandler has had production at Tennessee before. This offense knows what it's doing. I, I think I'll have a productive year, but maybe not quite as fearsome as, as that duo last year. Mm. I want to kind of move towards the defensive side of the ball. I think tomorrow one of the most important things is winning the turnover battle. Where do you see those turnovers coming from on this defense for Virginia Tech? You know, it's tough because Sam Howell's not really careless with the ball. No. I, mean, he does, they, I feel like he does hold on to it too long he does, sometimes. Possibly. And, uh, you know, that's where you, you have to get him with pressure. Yeah. And that's why I think Amari Barno really needs to step up and have a, a great game on the edge. I think that's how that's how you can disrupt any great quarterback exactly. is pressure. And that doesn't necessarily mean get sacks. It just means get in his face, disrupt his rhythm. This is such a rhythm offense that they have with the RPOs and stuff like that. If you can disrupt that... Uh, you can take them out of uh, what they want to do offensively. I don't know if necessarily you're ever going to slow them down, but I think you can you can make life miserable for them. So, it's, yeah, I think turnovers would be great, but I think you just have to get them out of rhythm more than anything. And last year they didn't do that. The Hokies didn't do that at all defensively. The only times, the only stops they got last year against this North Carolina offense was when North Carolina dropped the ball on third <laughs> down. There's like three instances of it where they dropped the ball either at the sticks or past the sticks, and that was the only reason the Virginia Tech got off the field. It really felt like the Tar Heels could have picked their score last year. Mm. And, you know, they, they got to 56. I, I feel like they easily could have scored 70 in that game. But, you know, a lot of pieces coming back this year. Jermaine Waller is healthy. Devin Hunter in the secondary. Jordan Williams now on the defensive line. I, I think this defense can do a little bit more to slow them down, but it's tough to predict turnovers. Those are... I don't yeah. want to say fluky, but it, it's it's tough to rely on turnovers. But if you can disrupt them a little bit, I think that, that would certainly help their coaches. Yeah. How much is the number 10 rank in the nation Sam Howell? It's quite a bit. Because right. you look at what they lost. And it, it's Sam Howell, but it's sort of like it's Mac Brown and what he, he's doing, the direction of this program. Yeah. And people look at the recruiting rankings, and he's killing it mm-hmm. in the recruiting rankings. Uh, this current class that they have that's so good, the 2022 class, is not signed yet. <laughs> yep. so, I mean, that's not on the roster right now. But he's done great 
in the first couple of years in terms of replenishing that roster, getting things going in the right direction. He's Mac Brown. He's a media darling. People exactly. love Mac Brown. Exactly. Like I, I've said this before, like some of these coaches, they just have this way of owning a room when they walk in. Frank Beamer was like that. Yeah. And I'm up at the College Football Hall of Fame ceremony, and Mac Brown is being inducted at the same time as Frank Beamer. And when they were both in the room, it kind of felt like Matt Brown was the magnetic personality in that room. He, more people kind of flocked to him. I guess it was maybe a more interesting story because he was, you know, in the in the booth and coming out of the of retirement to come back and coach the Tar Heels. But he just seemed to have even more of that presence than somebody like Frank Beamer. So. Yes, I think a lot of people are on the Mac Brown train because he's Mac Brown and they've seen what he's done at Texas before. But, uh, you know, you have a great quarterback like Howell, a guy who's, I think he has 68 touchdowns in two years. It's hard not to like that. Mm-hmm. You know, when in doubt, go with the team with the great quarterback. Right. And I think that's why uh, they have a top 10 ranking right now. That's probably the, the primary reason they have it. But, you know, there's reasons to be excited, like Tony Grimes on defense, a lot of other guys that are back on defense as well, but uh, Howell is probably the primary reason. Virginia Tech released the uniforms they're wearing tomorrow, last night. So what do you think about the color Big rush? release. What do you think Big about release. the color rush? I, <laughs> well, and UNC's going all white, right? Well, they have blue pants. No, pain. they have blue dark, pants. Dark, dark I love that. Pants. That look is so so clean. I love I love those. It's I thought we had a full-on color rush. No. I thought that's all white. Uh, it's interesting because they don't really go with the all-orange. I've never, I haven't seen it. No. Uh, I don't, they've never done it, right? Well... They did it 2013 against Duke. Uh, they wore orange unis, orange pants, maroon helmets. I think Logan Thomas threw four picks in that game. They lost 13-10. to 10. So it's like bad memories. And I, I believe there was a, a game in the 90s, I'd have to go back and look at this, where they played UVA and they wore all orange like that and they lost. So it's sort of got this stigma attached to it. When you wear all orange, uh, it doesn't go great. Uh, obviously, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> in the game. I always joke because whenever I like tweet out pictures about the uniforms, people are like, I don't care what they wear as long as we win. It's like it's not like the coaches are spending extra time picking out the uniforms and like, no, we can't game plan until we get yeah. these uniforms right. It's like this is a whole marketing thing. Like, is that this, a Fuente decision? The uniforms? It has uh, to be, right? It's beyond Fuente. Yeah. I don't think Fuente sits. There. I don't think he cares. <laughs> he does, I, Let me rephrase that. He doesn't care. <laughs> he does not care about this. It's a marketing thing. Uh, I do find it interesting when they do bring recruits in and stuff, and they do those photo yeah. shoots. I did a story on this this summer about just sort of the recruiting visits and stuff. The recruits pick the jerseys and stuff that they're wearing in those photo shoots and apparently they always pick the orange ones really? like that is the most popular wow. combination that they have so you know if you're doing this thing to be attractive to recruits and kind of catch the eye of, of young you know 18 year olds out there that might be thinking about virginia tech this maybe isn't the worst strategy but i thought it was a good good look i like the white helmet with yeah. it i prefer that over the Me maroon too. helmet but uh, in the grand scheme of things, it will not matter <laughs> at all when they kick the ball. If off. we're talking recruits, I think I mean the UNC's colors really would that, draw, that's draw point. me. That's it's huge. As <laughs> the Jordan brand, yes. they have the Jordan brand. Everybody's like, oh, they have a basketball player on their jerseys. It's like, yeah, but it's Jordan. <laughs> like, like kids like that. It's, it doesn't matter if it's a, a basketball player that's on there. No, I, I agree. I like their their jerseys. I think it's a sharp look. Uh, I don't know about the Argyle. They have like the Argyle piping. Yeah, it's different. I don't know about that for football, but I've always liked that dark blue, light blue color. Old Dominion basically just stole it. Yeah, that's right. Well, they wore the the navy right against Tech last year. 
Uh, yeah, a couple years ago, I think they did. Yeah, okay. But uh, now they have like the light. I mean, they basically look like Carolina yeah. out there. It, it's a good look to steal, yeah. I guess, if you're gonna steal one. Right. It is kind of crazy. They're, they're the only school or state you can say that has a color named after. Yeah. <laughs> I had one more question about the defense. Do you feel strongly about the linebacker position with Dak Holyfield or Dax Holyfield and Alan Tisdale? Do you feel strongly about the experience, or do you think? I don't know, we've seen in years past them get somewhat exploited athletically, but I just think the experience there is still something that you can kind of take a positive from. Well, I think athletically they're in the proper fits now. Yeah. And, you know, Dax, his first couple years here, was always playing backer for most of the time, was was playing backer because Rayshard Ashby had the can mic Can you explain position. that for the, friend, for the uh, fans? The mic home? position is more friends, of a friends. sort of an inside the box. Like, it's you're playing in a phone booth, it's your classic sort of run stuffer. Uh, that's in the middle, and the backer has a little bit more coverage responsibilities mm. of the two. So, you know, if you have uh, the shorter, you know, ball-seeking type like Rayshard Ashby, he's a Mike linebacker. Yeah. You have the, the more rangier athletic guy, and you can go back in time, and, you know, Xavier DB is a perfect example of something like that. Tremaine Edmonds, yeah. somebody like that that can, you know, do both, cover, tackle, and in the box. That's your backer. Uh, so I think they have them in the right spots right now. Dax sort of was out of position his entire time. He was recruited to play Mike. They wanted to get him on the field, uh, but Rayshard Ashby wasn't giving up that spot. They weren't taking him off the field. So uh, now he's in the right spot. It's more of a, a run-stopping spot, sort of in the box, phone booth type player. And Tisdale, it sounds like, has made some strides uh, just from a maturity standpoint. And he was really undersized last year. He almost looked like a safety yeah. playing linebacker. I think he was listed at 210 pounds. This year he looks bigger. Jeez. He's, I think he's 228 right now. Uh, you know, he had a son in around Thanksgiving, I think, last year. So, you know, that brings a whole different perspective and maturity to your life that I think the way the coaches talk about him, he's a changed person. He's mm. a different kind mm. of person. So uh, you have those two in the right spots. You have those two a year older. You have those two uh, a year deeper into the system with Justin Hamilton and being able to understand what he wants to do. I think there should be an improvement uh, at that position. <laughs> this year now will it be an improvement against unc i don't know because that's a really tough offense to do it against but i think on on the whole they should be better this season at linebacker how about the atmosphere at lane stadium how much do you think that matters not at the beginning of the game not when the stadium's rocking but how about when tech's down 10 in the third quarter and they need the fans in it. How much do you think that matters? And is that your prediction? That's a somber prediction right now that they're <laughs> down 10 in the fourth quarter third quarter third uh, quarter down third. three in the third quarter, <laughs> about to score. I'm, I'm curious Give to see. Give me an atmosphere the, prediction. I'm curious what the fans will be like after a year away. Yeah. You know, that was the thing that's like, maybe sort of my just old, uh, you know, warped perspective as a sports writer. I've been to a lot of games with a lot of fans, and that's just like, it kind of becomes secondary after a while. You don't pay attention to them that much unless it's like really noticeable in the crowd. But last year, when I'm covering games with no fans in the stadium, I'm like, man, this is missing something. There's yeah, an yeah. element that is not there to this game. Uh, so I think all of a sudden you add 60,000 people back in the stadium, it's going to be like, oh, well, I <laughs> notice these people mm-hmm. again. Uh, you know, It'll be interesting. Lane Stadium has not exactly been this like overwhelming home field advantage lately, and I'm not putting that on the fans. The team has not been very good. But it's, it's not like people come into Lane Stadium and they're like, oh, gosh, I'm scared to play in Lane Stadium. It's not been that kind of place yet. So I'll, I'll be curious to see if uh, the noise can be a factor. All these teams go to silent counts when they're on the road and, and stuff like that anyway. But it can disrupt some things if it gets to some key moments. And uh, I would imagine this will be a rowdy crowd because they've been waiting, you know, uh, 
I mean, if you count the off season from last year, it's been 20 months or whatever it's been since they've been at a game like this. So uh, I would expect a pretty raucous crowd. You also got to think like 50% of the school sophomores and freshmen haven't even been to a Virginia Tech tailgate or football game experience. So That I think, is weird to me. Yeah. Uh, does that mean people will stay past the third quarter? I, that's I think what I'm so. saying. That's really what I meant. I think most question. people are in the kind of perspective that with having that year off and not having football, I think people are going to appreciate it more. They're going to stay, stick it out. That's what I hope. Well, as I cannot fault students for leaving at halftime of like lousy games yeah. or if the team's getting crushed or if they're playing an FCS team or something like that. I, I would leave too. I, mm-hmm. I can't, I'm not going to be here like, you need to stay the whole game. <laughs> like, But this one, like this could be a yeah. really good game. All the way. Like if, if you would have left the North Carolina Virginia Tech game a couple years ago, you would have missed like the greatest yeah, finish. Exactly. I mean, it was. I mean, they were down in the fourth quarter and they came back and tied it up, and then six overtimes. It was uh, honestly one of the best, most entertaining games I've covered, uh, and you would have missed that. So mm-hmm. stick around. It, it could be an exciting game. So you're a student. You're 21 years old. You're not leaving for this game. They're down four scores, and again, that's not my prediction. They're they're down four scores in the fourth. You're not leaving, right? I wouldn't. Okay. Uh, but that was kind of me. I'm not one of those leave early right. type of people. I don't even like leaving baseball games early yeah. to leave, beat the traffic. Uh, but, yeah, I don't recall leaving early from any Wisconsin games that I went to mm-hmm. uh, when I was a student. So, on The Athletic, you predicted a 35-34 to 34 win. Can we have one bold prediction? And don't be afraid to go way out there. That is a bold prediction. <laughs> what? what are you talking about? Let's that is my bold <laughs> prediction. Every sports writer on both sides has predicted a close victory for their team. I think the guy you interviewed was 38-30, right? I've seen very few people pick Virginia Tech in this one. Mm-hmm. I think all well, three of the Tech sideline... T- I think all three of the Tech sideline guys <laughs> pick North Carolina. Normally you would think one of them would pick Virginia Tech. I, all the national people, except Stuart Mandel... Yeah. Uh, my, my boss uh, picked Virginia Tech, even though he has Virginia Tech going six and six this year. I don't know how you marry those two thoughts <laughs> where they win this game, but they also go six the and atmosphere. six. Uh, I don't that that is my bold prediction is that Virginia Tech wins this game. I don't, I feel like I'm kind of out on a ledge uh, saying that. I, there's so much that the Tar Heels have to replace that I just don't think it's as easy as people are making it yeah, out to be. Right? People are like, oh, they have all these great recruits. It's like that's great. And they probably will be great over the long haul, but this is the first time they're going to step in. For a lot of them. I know a lot of them played in that Orange Bowl last year. I just don't think it's as seamless as, as maybe people make it out to be. Uh, you know, I think this is a tough atmosphere to come in. I think motivation factor for Virginia Tech. This is a team that has a chip on its shoulder, not only from last year's game and the way that that one went, but just how the season went. I think there's a lot of players on this team that look at it and they're, you know, fans are already firing Fuente at this point, and mm. I don't think a lot of them enjoy that, or a lot of them enjoy thinking this is a mediocre program. So if ever there's, there was a game that you would get up for and get motivated for, and they played very well against North Carolina, yeah. you know, last year not notwithstanding, even though that they came back in that game and made it a game, they played the Tar Heels pretty well. And I do like Fuente in openers. He, yeah, he's that's played true. well. Uh, the one game they lost at BC, there was just a lot of turnovers in that game. I think at least one interception in the end zone, maybe another that was down there. I think Willis had four interceptions in that game, if I remember correctly. Three or four. Uh, you know, if you can limit the turnovers, I think you can take down an offense like that. They've, they, they've actually done it in an opener before. West Virginia had this high-powered offense that put up all sorts of yards and going up and down the field. And Virginia Tech won that game with field position, didn't turn the ball over, didn't make any mistakes. I think that's what it's going to take in this game to do the same thing. North Carolina's lost seven straight uh, road openers as well. Who do you think has more? That's great stuff. Yeah, thank you. Who do you think has more to prove coming to this game? Because on the outside, it seems obvious, but you look into it. I think you could argue for both squads. Yeah, I mean, it's it's 
improving things based on expectations. Exactly. I mean, North Carolina got up to number five last year in the in the polls, mm-hmm. and then went down, and laid an egg at Florida State. And Florida State was a bad team last year, mm-hmm. and they still lost that game with a series of mistakes and turnovers that they just dug themselves too big of a hole. So I think there's always that question with the Tar Heels of when there are expectations on that program, can they live up to that? I mean, they haven't won the ACC in 40 years. I mean, you have to go back to Lawrence Taylor being at the school since they've done that. that that's a long time. Mm. Uh, and with Virginia Tech, I think there's pressure just to prove that this is not more of the same. And uh, you know, this was a 5-6 and six team last year, and I, I think they were better than 5-6. and six. I, I think there's a lot of people that would like to prove that, and you know, that's not necessarily an easy thing to prove people wrong in that. So, yeah, I, I think there's pressure on both sides, as there should be. It's a season opener in college football that's – you know, not a cupcake game. There's mm-hmm. stakes at it. That's, that's that's what college football should be. I like this better than opening up against, you know, Middle Tennessee or, right. or uh, Richmond or, or some team like that. There's been a lot of talk on Virginia Tech Twitter about possibly storming the field if we win. What do you think about that? Would that be embarrassing, or are you like let the kids let the kids have fun? I am uh, of the let the kids have fun opinion all these people that are court stormers at basketball they're like this shouldn't be done you shouldn't yeah. be celebrating this way it's like just let the college kids enjoy <laughs> it like it's fun uh it's difficult i would think to get on the field at lane stadium yeah. I mean, that is a significant a big drop drop out <laughs> on the field and if you're trying to rush the field you're all going down the stairs in a single file line and get past security <laughs> that way it's tough uh yeah, I, I wouldn't be against it, I'll put it that way, but I do I do think there's a higher degree of difficulty at a place like Virginia Tech where there's that big wall as opposed to just stepping over some hedges or whatever it is at, at SEC schools. That's the same situation at Castle, right? They have the big wall mm-hmm. right in front of uh, That's right, Castle yeah. Guard, so, yeah. You have to prepare your ankles for a, a drop like that. Maybe if, maybe if some enterprising students like figure out some sort of cushioning system, like some pillows or airbags or something like that, that you can jump onto, that would uh, facilitate the process. We'll leave that why, up, we'll leave that up to the engineers. That? Okay, the engineers can do that. You got anything else? Uh, I think we covered every, pretty much everything you can cover. There you go. Andy <clears throat> Andy Bitter back in person. Why wow, you close? <clears throat> Andy Bitter. Back in person, season three of the overtime. Andy, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it and really excited for the first game of the season tomorrow. So am I. Thanks for having me on.